listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Um, A couple things I wanted to share with you. One that's so amazing as you're sharing the broadcast is um, we just had supernatural testimonies coming back in. Even in the even in the area, I love when you see this because young people, as they're learning about the things of God, even in the area of sowing and reaping, it's just like so supernatural to see young people sowing, and then as they're sowing seeds, increase and in harvest coming back to them. And um, we had one testimony that. Uh, a student came and sowed a seed that the Lord spoke to them to sow in the offering. And it was like literally moments later, just after they'd sowed, somebody walked up and gave them $900. I mean, like right on the spot. And then someone else walked up and sowed an Apple Watch. It's just like supernatural. But anyway, I wanted to start with this because I want to show you anytime God starts to move, anytime that God starts to move, uh, and people are yielded to the spirit moving. The enemy hates it. Understand what I'm saying. The enemy cannot stand when God begins to move because people are yielded to his presence. And I've dealt with this on the broadcast before, but like one of the things you'll see clearly is that the enemy wants to fight against a weakened, powerless church. No question. The enemy wants to fight against a weakened powerless church. He does not want us to have dominion, authority, uh, signs, wonders, miracles. These are the proof that Jesus is alive. In fact, Jesus used miracles as the proof that he was the Messiah. The apostles used miracles as the proof that he was Lord and still alive and coming soon. And so the same thing, the supernatural power of God, it's the proof that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. When you see people that are yielded to the power and the presence of God, it's supernatural because then God begins to move in in, in a supernatural way, which is what we saw this last weekend. And um, one of the powerful testimonies that came in, I'll share with you, is a girl wrote in and told Pastor Cody, and just, she just sent her testimony in yesterday, and I posted it. She said that she, for, for the majority of her life, she has been legally blind. Now, this is, this is her words. She said even with her glasses on, she could see almost nothing. With her glasses off, she could see nothing. So not only legally blind, because, you know, there's people that I know that are legally blind that can still see things. She said even with my glasses on, I could hardly see anything at all. With them off, I can't see anything. And as we were at the conference, God was moving, the power of God touching people. She said, the the power of the Holy Ghost hit me and my eyes were supernaturally healed. She said, said, I'm talking like 20-20 vision. And so now, in like one moment, that's why on Sunday, I preached from um, the book of Psalms, the 84th Psalm, where in the 10th verse, the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. Well, the reason is because God can do for you in one moment what experts, doctors, lawyers, whatever, financial planners 
cannot do for you in a thousand days. And so I, I touched on that on Sunday. I was preaching on why being in his presence is better than anywhere else that you could be. So she testified that the power of God hit her and her eyes were instantly healed by the power of God. And uh, it's amazing. It literally is amazing to see all the things that are going on. It's like when I just got back from Tomball, Texas, and uh, we had one of our, our people, friends that we've known for really years because they used to, for about three years, attend the church here in Virginia Beach. He'd been in a car accident and had constant pain in his leg, which is even worse when you have to walk for your job. And uh, he said, since the car accident, every night pain, his wife testified, I used to have to uh, massage the muscles of his leg every night before bed, use essential oils, just constant pain. And the same thing, right in the presence of the Lord, his leg was instantly healed. No more pain. They wrote in, no more pain, no more suffering. So these things are happening in the presence of God. So here's the deal. When you understand, when 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 a group of people, when a uh, when an individual even is yielded to the Holy Ghost, there is no limit to what can happen uh, in your life, in your ministry, in your business. There's no limit to it. And it's really the power of the Holy Ghost. I love what Zechariah wrote, that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So literally, we've gotten very, very caught up in Oh, we need better systems. We need better uh, administration. And all those things are good. But when it comes down to the end of the day, you cannot administrate a demon out of someone. You can't administrate blindness out of someone's eyes. You can't administrate deaf, deaf ears open. And we need administration. We need systems. But more than anything, we need the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. And when you're yielded to the power of the Holy Ghost, you understand these things begin to take place. God is not sovereignly picking and choosing who he will and will not bless or heal or save or whatever. He's looking for people that are yielded to his presence, yielded and believe him. That's what he's really looking for. People that will believe him. And here's the interesting thing. Even Jesus, you know, who the Bible said had the spirit of God without measure. Think about that. He had the spirit of God without measure, but even Jesus went back to his own hometown and couldn't do any mighty works there. That's Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Went to Nazareth and couldn't do any mighty works there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And the Bible says, and he marveled at their unbelief. So understand, even Jesus, this, this is mind-blowing, even Jesus could not force miracles onto people that he wanted to have miracles. You know, he wanted to bless the people of his hometown, no question. He wanted to bless the people of his hometown. But what does the Bible say? He couldn't. He couldn't. Why couldn't he? Number one, they weren't yielded. Number two, they didn't have faith in who he was. And it troubled him. And so what did he do? He traveled around to their synagogues preaching and teaching. And the reason that he was frustrated is because though he wanted to perform miracles, he could not do it. Even with the spirit without measure, he couldn't do it. And it blew his mind. And he said, I'm marveling at the, at the unbelief of these people. And you see, it kept them. 
from receiving what he wanted to do in their life. So notice, Jesus wasn't sovereignly picking and choosing who he'd heal in the crowd in Nazareth. Notice he wanted to heal all of them. He wanted to touch all of them, but he couldn't. Why couldn't he? Because the Bible says they had unbelief. They were filled with unbelief. And so one of the things we're teaching uh, this generation is what's, what's been being <clears throat> taught for decades. Only believe. I love that uh, ministers during the Voice of Healing movement, like Oral Roberts, used to sing that song, you know, before they would minister to people. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Very simple song, but it also set the expectation and the faith of the people to receive miracles. And what we're seeing today is we have people that literally uh, have left church. You know, you hear all these stories. Well, famous Christian singer, so-and-so, leaving the faith, blah, blah, blah. And you wonder, like, the, the things they list about why they're leaving the faith are so elementary. It's like, bro, your pastor has some explaining to do, like serious explaining to do. If you didn't understand those things, I mean, very, very simple things, but that's the problem is that most people in our generation don't understand what the Bible says. Now I'm going to show you today, uh, through Bible prophecy, even let me, let me pull this up. Cause I want you to turn there. Second Timothy chapter three. The reason I want you to turn there is because I'm going to read you some prophecy and then I'm going to read you some things that are going to show you uh, what we're dealing with right now in 2020, that if you'll understand what I'm saying to you, what I'm teaching you, it will cause you as an individual to increase. It will cause you to steadily increase. And what we say on this broadcast often, never ending increase. That means for the rest of your life, you'll see that increase. How? By understanding Bible prophecy. God, number one, if you're with me on this, I want you to, um, I want you to put this in the comments. God is the author of my increase. I want you to put that in the comments section. God is the author of my increase. And so, you know, without him, none of these things can happen. None of these things can happen. And Andrew Columbia is bringing up the, the fact, which is absolutely true, is that many seeker-friendly churches don't dive into the word. Uh, they have very uh, surface-level series and, and stuff like that. And there's, there's, there's room for that. There's room for teaching new believers. But the churches never get doctrinal teaching. They never understand uh, why they believe what they believe. None of those things. Thank you, Chris, for sowing a seed. And so I want you to see this. Paul is writing Timothy. And I wanted to read to you. What's up, Aaron? Love you, buddy. That's right. God is the author of my increase. But listen to this. I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy, and then he starts to prophesy to Timothy and listen to what he says to him in 2 Timothy 3. He says, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For, now listen to this. If this is not, <laughs> if this is not an explanation of where we are today, I don't know what is. Uh, people will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now look at verse five, very important. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's huge right there. You see that? That's huge. So I want you to I want you to check this out with me. Notice this. As as now see Paul, he's talking about the last days, the very last days. Well, that was 2000 years ago. And now we're seeing the signs for the second coming of Christ. So these are the last days. So Paul's saying, watch what you'll see. This is the kind of people you'll see. Uh, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. We're seeing those things right now, <clears throat> even in the church, even in the church. What are some of the biggest things people love to watch? They love to watch shows where they see other people's wealth, other people's mansions, other people's cars, other people's vacations. They love to watch and follow celebrities on social media and look at everything they have and then really want to have the same things and all. I mean, it's it's lovers of money. It's lovers of self. It's lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now look at this, having the appearance of godliness. If you're just jumping on and you haven't had a chance to share this, take a minute to share it. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's a massive one right there. And then it says, avoid such people. So one of the things that, and I'll show you this too from, um, as we'll go down the, down a little bit uh, in this chapter. One of the things I want you to see is that in these final moments of time, in these last days, you see people that they want to, quote unquote, have church. They want to be Christians. They want to, um, you know, look as though they're, quote unquote, sold out to God. And I have people tell me that, well, brother, I'm sold out to God. But if people are truly sold out to God, look at the dedication level. Why is it that you've got people that average church attendant church attendance, they go once every five weeks? That's the average in America. I attend church once every five weeks. Well, don't tell me you're sold out to God, quote unquote, and you don't even go to his house as we're commanded to. And so you've got people that they want to look like they're godly. They want to look like they're Christians. They want to look like they're sold out, but they actually don't want to have any of the power involved. Notice this. It actually takes, um, it actually takes dedication to experience the power of God. That, that's, that's something big that I want to get into you today. It takes dedication to have the power of God. When we were at Upward last week, we did a session where we talked about the supernatural, and it was me and, and uh, Pastor Chris Estrada, and we were talking about what does it take to see the supernatural power of God? What does it take to have, thank you, love you, um, they just brought me my my coffee, <laughs> hallelujah, yeah, I do, I do mean that, Norman, they are religious, cheers, um, oh, yes, so they, 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 we were talking about what does it take to have a supernatural life? What does it take to have a supernatural ministry? And we, we're talking about the fact, look at Jesus. It takes dedication. 
It takes diligence. It takes prayer. It takes fasting. It takes study. It, it, you know, it takes praise. It takes worship. It takes faithfulness, things that really people don't want to be involved in. You know, everybody likes the idea of success, but they don't actually want to do what it takes to be successful. And that, that includes every area, you know, think about even stuff like, uh, you know, we talk about this often, but whether it's weight loss or growing your business or, I mean, it's not like a mystery how to do these things. People know how to do them. They just don't want to do what it takes to get it done because many times people don't have the discipline to be successful. So we were talking about how when you want to have a supernatural life, you've got to be a supernatural person. You have to have the diligence and the dedication just like Jesus did. You know, one of the things that um, a great man of God, A.A. Uh, a. Allen, who's gone on to be with the Lord, one month we we gave you the book that he wrote as the uh, book that we're, we sent to those that sowed into this ministry, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. Well, one of the things um, that he said the Lord spoke to him in prayer and fasting was this. He said, um, the Lord took me to the scripture and said, uh, the, the servant or the disciple is never greater than the master. That was a principle. The servant is never greater than the master. The disciple is never greater than the master. That's a principle. So Jesus was showing him something. Jesus said, now I'm the master. Look at my life. Look at my life as was laid out in the New Testament. Look what I did. Look how I lived. And so we have record of Jesus praying for hours. We have record of Jesus rising up early before the dawn and praying. We have record of Jesus praying through the night, Luke chapter 6. We have record of Jesus, you know, doing all these things. And, and this is what the Lord spoke to Brother Allen. He said, now, if you could literally do what I did, perform miracles, see people, all those, all those things, if you could do the supernatural things that I did, but not have any of my dedication, that would mean you are greater than me. That's what Jesus said to him. That would mean you are greater than me. So he was pointing out the fact that if we could perform miracles without the same prayer, fasting, study that Jesus had, we'd be greater than Jesus and we'll never be greater than Jesus. Calvin, that book is called The Price of God's Miracle Working Power by A.A. A. Allen. And so he said, if you could do all these things without uh, the prayer, fasting, study, everything that I did in dedication, you'd be greater than me. And the key is this, we'll never be greater than Jesus. We're one with him, we're part of his body, but we will never be greater than our master. And so if, it, if Jesus, think about this, if Jesus had to pray and fast and study and be diligent in his father's presence in order to do the works that he did, then guess what? We're going to have to do the same. And one of the things that I'm seeing is that you've got a lot of people in this generation, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. They don't, they don't want to see the power of God at work. They don't want to see the power of God at work. Do you know, let me, let me tell you a true story. I went to a church recently, a full gospel church, a Pentecostal church. And uh, this, this saddened me, but 
the and I'm not saying this to brag on me. I'm showing you uh, the kind of the state of where we're at in Christianity in America. The pastor said, man, I was really appreciative of your ministry today. I said, oh, yeah, why? He said, well, I really appreciate that you get you give an altar call for salvation. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, doesn't don't uh, don't preachers do that? He said, no, the last seven or so evangelists that I've had in or seven speakers, whatever, he, whatever he said, they did not give. And he did say evangelist because I remember what I said back to him. He said the last seven evangelists I had in, they they did not and would not give a call or an altar call for salvation. And I said, well, if that's the case, <clears throat> you didn't have evangelists and you had traveling speakers because evangelists are interested in the lost. They're interested in seeing souls saved. It's part of the main, one of the main parts of their call as it is for every believer. I said, you didn't have evangelists in, you had traveling speakers. And that blows my mind that he said the last seven people that came to preach at this church would not give an altar call for salvation. Now that blows my mind. But again, we're living in a generation of people that Paul described that would have a form of godliness, but deny his power. Let me give you another example. There's people all over Christianity that have gotten to this place in life where they say, well, in all reality, uh, God loves us for how we are, no matter how we are, and uh, you can be a Christian and still do anything that you want to do. That's actually pretty common uh, in American Europe today, Canada. That thought process is pretty common. It's not rare to hear someone who considers themselves to be a Christian say, well, no, God loves us for how we are. We can just do literally whatever we want. He knows he made us this way. We can live this way and understand that his grace is enough for us. And, you know, and it's really what's, what we've called now the hyper grace message. But remember this, <clears throat> the Bible says that you would have people that would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We're still here in second Timothy chapter three. Lovers of pleasure. So <clears throat> here's these people. I've, I had them say it to me this week. I had a huge group of people say it to me this week at, at Upwork that <clears throat> it, it's wrong to tell people, literally, this is what they were saying. It's wrong to stick to the beliefs of Christianity. It is wrong to tell people that they should live a certain way. It's wrong to tell people that there's a standard that they should meet with their lives in order to be blessed by God. It's wrong to do that. It's abusive to do that. It is har it's harassment to do that. Uh, it's, it's wrong. They, basically it's wrong. So think about, I want you to think about this. There's a whole generation of people on the earth that say, if you try to hold people that want to be Christians to the standard of the Bible, you're abusive. You you are you're harassing people. You are actually um, trying to make them feel bad for how they live. I mean, think about that. That is literally the argument that we have in this generation. If you try to hold people to the standard of Scripture, if they want to be Christians, you're that's abusive. That's harassment. That's insane. That's insane. 
That's insane. And I'll tell you why it's insane. Jesus himself said in the gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 21, he said, those who have my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, they will be loved by my father and I will love them and I will manifest myself to them. That's gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 21. So Jesus is saying that it's actually the people who have his word and obey it. Those are the ones that really love him. Anybody that doesn't do that doesn't love him. They can say they do, but they don't. That's what Jesus is saying. So for us, I mean, think of how crazy, I mean, like literally think how insane it is that we could live in a generation where people say, I'm a Christian, but if you try to hold me to the teachings of Christianity, you are abusive. You are harassing me. It's like, no, you're either, (laughs) you are either a Christian who abides by Christian disciplines or you're not a Christian. You know, it's funny because we live, think about this. We live in a generation where people think that they can redefine what Christianity is. <laughs> I mean, think about that. They believe that they can redefine what Christianity is. And they can say, no, I can live as a Christian on my own Christian terms. Now, Paul said this would happen. Paul said this would be part of the end times, that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power of God. And that's what's happening today. You've got people that want to redefine what Christianity is and say, well, no, I can be a Christian, but not obey any of the Bible. Here is one of the biggest things that you'll see as a believer in this generation is you'll have people tell you that if you don't just love and accept everybody, then there's something wrong with you. If you desire anybody's life to change, there's something wrong with you because you should not desire someone's life to change. When, In all reality, that's the whole reason Jesus came, is so that people's lives would change. Think about this. Jesus came to give his life for the world. So when people say, you know, here's something I want to teach you for 2020. When people say to you, "Um, you know, Jesus loves people for how they are. Well, let's break that down. Because it is important to break that down because you'll hear it all the time. They will blow you up with this one. Well, Jesus loves people for how they are. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? First of all, understand this. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's an action. I want you to put that in the comments section. Love is an action. And so catch this. You can just say you love people without actually doing anything to love them. Talk is cheap. The real proof is in your actions, what you do, 
Always. Always. You notice that if you read that book that I reference all the time, if you read that book, The Five Love Languages, the five love languages, every one of them is an action. It's not a feeling. They're saying if you love somebody, you'll spend quality time with them. You'll give them words of affirmation. You'll give them gifts, you know, personal touch, all that stuff. It actually is an action. Love is manifested as an action. So what does it mean that Jesus loves everyone for how they are? Because you'll hear that all the time. But what does it mean? Well, think of it this way. What was the action of Jesus' love? Let's go back for a second. What was the action of God's love? What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but have eternal life. So notice this, God's action of love to the whole world was to do what? Send Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins. That was God's action of love. He gave us Jesus. So how can we prove that God loves the whole world? Because without discrimination, think about this, without discrimination, without any kind of sovereign choice. Now, I know not everybody believes this, but as Pentecostals, we do. God gave Jesus for everybody, everybody. He didn't give Jesus for white people. He didn't give Jesus for black people. He didn't give Jesus only for Asians or for those that are Latino. He didn't pick and choose who he gave Jesus for. He gave Jesus for the world at large. Whoever can believe on Jesus and receive what he did in the act of redemption can be saved. It's an open door to anybody. Now, that's what God did. What did Jesus do? <clears throat> Jesus laid down his own life willingly. And you know that he knew what he was doing because he went into the garden and said, Lord, listen, if there's any other way, <clears throat> If there's, the, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please let it pass. However, if this is your will, let your will be done. Jesus did, in the flesh, Jesus did not want to be crucified and die. He did not. Who wants to be? Nobody wants to be. But what did Jesus do as his act of love? Knowing the inconsistency, the unholiness, the wickedness of all mankind, he laid down his life anyway. Even for the ones that tortured and killed him, what did he pray? Lord, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. They don't even understand what they're doing, so please forgive them. Think about that. The love. The Bible actually says, no greater love has any man than this, that he should lay down his life for his brethren or his friends. So understand, Jesus' act of love was that he took the sins of the world upon himself and gave himself for the world. So when people say, well, Jesus loves people how they are. Okay, all that means is that although he knew and God knew the sins that you were in or would be in, he still gave his life for yours. That is literally all that means. It does not mean by any 
stretch of the imagination that you can just live however you want, sin, you know, continue on disobeying God's word and think that somehow because he gave his life that you're going to go to heaven anyway because Jesus just loves and accepts people how they are. It doesn't work like that. And that's a foolish argument. And people, they believe that today to their own demise and to their own detriment because you begin to realize that is the wicked thing that the devil wants people to believe about God is that his word doesn't really matter. And did you know that that the devil's been doing that since the very beginning of time? Did you know that the very first words we have record of the devil saying in the garden was to Eve, did God really say, did you know that? That's the very first record of words we have the devil saying in the Bible. Did God really say? And do you know, he's still trying to do that today. Still saying that to people today. Did God really say? that He's still doing that. Is it really wrong to do this? Is it really wrong to do that? So, I mean, I want you to think about this. Think about the fact that just because something becomes legal doesn't mean God approves of it. Think about that for a moment. Just because something becomes legal in your nation doesn't believe doesn't mean that God approves of it. That's something I'd like you to write down because it's massive. Just because something becomes legal in my nation does not mean God approves of it. So for example, let's t- let's go from the Bible first. What are some things that were legalized in the Bible during the time where there were godly people living in a nation? Well, look at um, just the book of Daniel. You know what was legalized in the, in the day of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They built an, a statue of the king, and then the law was put forth that when the music plays, everyone in this nation is to bow down to and worship my statue. So, you know, and, and of course, obviously in the Old Testament, they didn't have Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2 yet. Nobody could yell at them and say, you need to obey the government because, you know, God's placed the government in a place of authority. You know, nobody had those scriptures to use back then yet. But let me ask you a question. Because that became the legal way to live, that when you hear the music play, bow down and worship the statue of the king. Do you think because that became legal and that was what was commanded by the government, do you think that then because it was legal, God became okay with it? I mean, think about that. Do you think that because it was legal, God became okay with it? He said, you know what? The king has spoken and he built that statue of himself and you know, governments are there for your good. And, you know, I put it there. So if they legalized it, go ahead and do it. No, God was not okay with his own worship being taken from him and attributed to a natural man. He was not okay with it. And his children, even though there were only three amongst a massive crowd, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their God enough to know 
He's not okay with this. Doesn't matter that it's legal. Doesn't matter that it was commanded by the government. He's not okay with this. And we're not going to bow. And so they didn't. And the king was angry. You know the story. Threw them into the furnace, but the fire couldn't kill them. God was in the fire with them. He protected them for doing what was right. Go again. What about when Daniel was living in that time and the law went forth that you could only pray to the king? Now, the wicked men did this because they knew Daniel was praying to God every single day, Jehovah, Yahweh. He knew that. They, they knew that and they wanted Daniel out because they were envious of how much uh, favor and authority he had. So they make, they get the king to sign this petition. The only thing we can pray to, person we can pray to, is you, O king. Okay, well, that, what, that was passed by a legal edict, a law, a decree from the king. Do you think that because that was passed, that God became okay with prayer going and worship going to the king rather than to God? Of course not. Of course not. Just because it was legalized, just because it was commanded by the government, God didn't become okay with it. Think about that. God did not become okay with it. And so think about the same things today. Just because abortion is legal does not mean God's okay with it. Just because same-sex marriage is legal doesn't mean God's okay with it. Just because it's legal to get drunk doesn't mean God's okay with it. Just because it's legal, you know, to buy certain drugs and do drugs doesn't mean God's okay with it. So just because something becomes legal doesn't mean that God's cool with it. And so you, you start to understand that there's a big difference. And this is, and this is important because it's debated heavily and Christians are getting pushed against and pushed against and pushed against constantly because they say, well, you know, if you're a Christian, why would you try to deny some somebody something that would give them pleasure or that would give them love or that would make them happy? This, this is really the argument that people are having today. If you're someone who loves people, why would you deny them something that makes them happy? Why would you deny them something that gives them joy? Why would you deny them something. And you have to understand there's a big difference between what the government makes legal and what God is okay with, right? So it doesn't matter. Like, for example, it doesn't matter that the government has legalized um, abortion or same-sex marriage. I'm not going to engage in either of those things. Why? Because number one, I understand it is displeasing to God. How do I know that? How do I know it's displeasing to God? Because I understand his word. I read his word. I adhere to his word. So it's like when you go and when you play, any sport you play has rules to govern the sport. You know, one of the things that you'll see, I don't know if anybody's watching that plays golf, but, you know, they have a little booklet that you can buy of the actual PGA rules of the game. It's the USGA rules of the game. So if there's ever question 
about what should be done in a situation, if there's ever a question about a circumstance that happened on the golf course during a game, what do they do? They can pull out the USGA rule book, they can look up that situation, and they can find out what should be done, what is right to be done in that situation. Same thing for us, is that if you ever doubt or wonder about what you should do about a situation in your life, you've got to find it in the word of God. And you've got to say, well, what does scripture say about this? What does scripture say about this? What does scripture say about abortion? What does scripture say about same-sex marriage or same-sex sex? The action of having sex with somebody that's the same sex as you or incest or bestiality or um, polygamy or uh, pedophilia, any of those things, which if you think, I mean, I want you to, I want you to think about this today. If you honestly think that there's not going to be a push, if if you, let me, let me say it another way, because I've said this on the broadcast before, and it, it makes sense for people to understand it. If you think that there's ever a level of wickedness that the devil is okay with stopping there, you don't understand the devil. So let me give you an example. If you think that we're we're ever going to get to a place where wickedness is at a certain level, then the devil's going to sit back and be like, you know what? I've I've done what I needed to do in America. I'm done with them and I'm going to move on to somewhere else. No, there's never going to be a level of wickedness that the devil will stop at. Meaning, for example, um, you know, people, we know that people... um, petition for years and years and years for same-sex marriage to be legalized. Okay, well, it is now legal in America. Same-sex marriage is, is legal. But then, do you think that's all? That that's as far as anybody wants to go? It's like even if you go all the way back to when um, Governor Newsom in California was just Mayor Newsom when he was the mayor of San Francisco and he was on Larry King Live with Dr. John MacArthur and others. And um, there was a a politician, a woman that was on during that broadcast. And that's back when they were trying to legalize same-sex marriage. And she, the politician, asked the, at that time, the mayor, who's now the governor of California, she asked him, she said, well, where do we stop? Once we start blurring the lines of marriage, where do we stop? For example, if you can use the argument of discrimination of what somebody desires to do as the basis to change everything, then anybody who has a desire to do anything should have the same rights as those who currently have rights. That was the argument they made for same-sex marriage. Uh, you know, um, people that are normal marriages that are that are happening, they get all these benefits, legal benefits. Why would we hold those back from same-sex unions? But she asked the question. She said, yeah, but what about polygamy? What about people who want to get married as a group, group marriages? Why should we discriminate against them? And why would you harass their desire and keep them from their happiness? If three men and six women want to get married as one union, why would you stop them? See, this is the problem that you have is that once you begin to redefine what something is, anybody who feels any way 
feels discriminated against and then feels like I should have my way too. I'll give you an example because I, I dealt with this this last weekend. You know, the same people back when even homosexuality was illegal, uh, there was a time, I don't know, if, not sure if you're aware of this, there was a time that, the, you know, they listed it as a, a mental disorder. Well, one of the things that's still listed as a mental disorder is pedophilia. But I hope you know that there are people still to this day pushing for the age of consent to be extremely lowered so that pedophilia can be legal in America. That's all the way back from the 70s to now. So see, here's the problem, is that the the wickedness, the level of wickedness, the devil's never going to be satisfied with any level of wickedness in a nation. So just because something's legal because of the government doesn't mean God's okay with it. And see, that's why there was a verse of scripture that I quoted to you from the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Andrew said there was a massive push to normalize it. It was a TED talk on it and everything. They're pushing. I'm seeing posters now. You know, I, I was I was mocked on social media a couple of days ago because people saying like, oh, you see ads for pedophilia. There are people are putting posters up trying to normalize pedophilia and say, well, you know, it's something people are born with the attraction to little children. Why should we discriminate against them? If you think that there's a level where the devil's satis- satisfied, you're out of your mind. You're completely out of your mind. And all the way back, if you go back and study NAMBLA that was... Uh, what was that instituted in the 70s, 1974, in the, uh, somewhere in the 70s? The, uh, you know, what is it? The North American Man-Boy Love Association? I mean, they've been trying for decades, decades to make this stuff happen. Why? Because wickedness knows no limitations, knows no boundaries. And so if you're a Christian in these final moments of time, you're going to be challenged by people that say, you know, you're, you're so evil. You're harassing us. You're, what you're doing is you're, you're very abusive by saying that this is the way to come to God. You know, that you have to obey the Bible in order to come to God. I mean, literally people are saying that. They who aren't even Christians want to come in and modify Christianity to fit their uh, sins so that they can feel justified living the way they do. But Christianity doesn't conform to wickedness or to somebody else's desire. It is set in stone. It's set in stone. The Lord said, I am the Lord, your God. I don't change. I don't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you need to hear today is this. We are living in the final moments of time. And what Paul prophesied, which I told you I would read you this prophecy, what Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is already happening. It's already going on right now. That we're literally living in this in this uh, day. Now think about this. In this in this last uh, week, if you didn't see this, I'll just give you a little brief overview because it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. But you'll 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 understand what I'm saying. Um, during the conference, I guess there was a student there that said said something about you know being saved from homosexuality when you come into Christianity and you can be free and and whatever. And there were students that got very offended by that. By, by that, you know, him saying that or her saying that. And uh, and so they went back, told all their friends, riled up the LGBTQ community 
uh, there in that in that region. Who then? Now I want you to imagine this happening in reverse. I, I want you to take a minute and re- imagine this this happening in reverse. So then the LGBTQ community, which nothing was said by anybody at the conference on the stage, any leader uh, that was abusive or, or harassment. But one kid said something to another kid and that riled everybody up. And so now they jump online, begin harassing the church, bullying the leaders of the church and jumped on my page, which I don't feel bullied or harassed. I actually think it's amusing when people uh, try to harass or bully me. But imagine if this, you know, I just started blocking, removing accounts, but they kept coming back and saying, oh, you're going to block us as if we all don't have 30 accounts that we're going to keep coming back. And they were coming back and harassing you. So what makes me laugh is imagine if that was done in reverse to where, you know, a whole, some, uh, somebody from the LGBTQ community said something against Christianity and then all these Christians started jumping on their Instagram page or their Facebook or their Twitter and all the Christians had 30 different accounts so that if they got blocked, they could keep coming back and harassing and putting Bible emojis and cross emojis and, you know, fire emojis on people's accounts. That would, without question, be considered harassment and abuse. It's not considered that if it's the other way around, because you understand it's the spirit. Exactly, Kayla, it would be a hate crime, but it's not when it's done the other way. You know why? Because the spirit of this world is already at work doing the things that it's doing. So they would rather limit the free speech of individual people so they don't have to be offended and limit the freedom of religion. Both of these things Uh, given to us by the Constitution. They would rather limit free speech so nobody can ever say anything that offends them and limit freedom of religion so that we can't define what really it means to be a Christian or the the disciplines of Christianity. And it's ridiculous, and you can't do it. And let me me say this to you. This is where I'll go in, uh, I'm still in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to look at this because this will stir you up. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, verse 16 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see that? So not just what Jesus said, Not just what Paul said, but Paul says all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. So it doesn't matter what part of the Bible you read. It is all given by God. It's all from the Holy Ghost. So you can't make foolish arguments and say, well, how come Jesus never mentioned this specifically? All of the Bible is the word of God. It's breathed out by God himself. It doesn't matter if it's something you read in Genesis, something you read in 2 Thessalonians, something you read in Ezekiel. It all carries just as much weight as what Jesus said. All of it, because it's all breathed out by God. It's all the word of God. It's all the word of God. And so what I'm trying to show you is here is the key that'll keep you in a place of increase. Here's the key that'll keep you in a place of of blessing. 
Paul lists these things to Timothy because he's trying to train him in godliness and train him to be blessed. Notice this. He lists all this stuff. Let me read it again. He said people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and they'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now notice Paul, after he lists all the different things, what he says, avoid such people. Well, that doesn't sound very Christian, brother. That's exactly what Paul who was establishing Christian churches all over the place, encouraged them to do. He said, when you see those types of people and they keep trying to press their way in and this is the way they live, avoid such people. That's right. We are living. Uh, Velvet said, get ready for persecution. It's what's going on all over America and all over the world. Their pers- Jesus said it himself. He said, you'll be hated all over the world for my name's sake hated. And that's what we're dealing with now. People hate us. It doesn't matter if we said, we love you. Doesn't matter if we said, hey, we love you. We appreciate you. We, we want to see God bless you. It doesn't matter. They say, well, if you really loved me, you'd accept everything in my life. See that? Do you see the demonic, literally the demonic antichrist agenda behind that thought process? If you really loved me, you'd love everything about my life. We've been taught that you can't truly love somebody unless you agree with every single thing they do. And that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. I'll give you an extreme example just so that you understand what I mean. Imagine a mother who had a son, her only son. She loved her son, had issues. He grew up and later, because obviously this has happened, later, her son became, let's say he became a mass murderer. Let's say he joined a motorcycle game and his gang and has murdered 27 people. Let's say he became a serial killer. Let's say he became an abusive father or whatever and abused six of his children. Let's say, though, that he became that killer and was convicted and put on death row and they finally brought him to the place where he was going to be executed. He was in a state where they had the death penalty. If that mother is sitting in that, you know, room looking through the window at her son in his final moments of his life and crying because her son is about to be executed, do you think that people should have the right to be like, how can you cry for that monster? How can you cry for that? I mean, he's a murderous, abusive. How can you cry? The reason she's crying is because, yes, He did all those things, but he is still her son. You understand that? Yes, he did horrible things. Yes, he killed people. He abused people, whatever, but he's still her son. She gave birth to him. It's her only child. She raised him. She loves him. So let me ask you a question. Can she love him and not love what he's done? Can't she? I'm asking the question to those that are watching the broadcast. Can't that mother love her son without loving the things that he's done? Of course she can. Of course she can. Because you don't have to love someone's actions in order to love them. 
Absolutely not. In fact, if you understand what Christian love truly is, it's what we call unconditional love, right? Unconditional love is what God had towards the world. It's what Jesus had toward us. And we understand that because we're supposed to model what Jesus Christ did, we're to have unconditional love for the world. Do you know that the disciples asked Jesus, if somebody sins against us, how many times should we forgive them? Seven times? He said, try 70 times seven. 490 times in the same day for the same sin. So, and I know Jesus is, he's not saying exactly 490 times, but he's trying to make the point. If somebody committed the same sin against you 490 times in one day, you're to forgive them every time. Unconditional love. I can love you without loving your actions. And that's something that we're being told in 2020 is an absolute lie. That you cannot love people without loving everything they do. And that is stupid beyond stupid. It's stupid beyond stupid. You can absolutely love people without loving what they do. But notice what Paul said. Now, obviously, Paul is not talking about uh, refusing to preach the gospel to those kinds of people. He's not talking about refusing to show the love of Christ or uh, refusing them the message of resurrection so that they can come into the kingdom. He's saying that if you've got those kinds of people that are not only rejecting or if they're in the church, he said they've got a form of godliness, so they might be in the church trying to act like they're they're just like everybody else, but you can see by their fruit that they're not. So what do you do? Totally avoid such people. Did you know that Paul actually taught that if there are people that are constantly stirring up division in the church and strife in the church, you know what he said? He said, remove them, cut them out of the fellowship and let them go on their own. Let them go their own way, but avoid them and remove them from the church. Because it's like a cancer that spreads. When people come in with pride and division and stirring up division, it spreads. That spirit spreads through the church. Then all you've got, there's no unity. It's all division. But understand this with me today. The reason Paul is giving these instructions to his son in the gospel, Timothy, is because he wanted him to understand two things. As time moves forward, there will be wickedness that will increase. And you'll see people really that even call themselves Christians, that'll do anything they want to do. They don't care. They'll do anything they want to do and expect you to like it. But he said, don't do that. Don't even spend time with them. Avoid them. And then understand this, because he said this after he talked about avoiding those types of people. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Every last Jot and tittle, the Bible says. Every last dotting of an I, crossing of a T, is breathed out by God. And it's for now, now, now here's something. Let me let me give you something in this. This will this will stir you up. Not only does he say all scripture is breathed out by God, but then what does he say? What's it for? It's for teaching, number one. But we don't stop there. It's not just for teaching. Look at this. It's for reproof. It's for correction. Oh, man. So here's a question for you. 
if we're supposed to just accept everything that anybody does within the body, why would there ever need to be reproof? Why would there ever need to be correction? You ever ask yourself that? I mean, let's think logically for a minute. Hey, Melissa, first time on the broadcast. Melissa Flaz or Flaz? Everybody welcome Melissa Flaz or Flaz, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, to the broadcast. Great to have you on and thanks for jumping on. So Paul's saying here, he said, listen, the word of God's not just for teaching, it's for reproof and correction. So if we just accepted anything that anybody did ever, why would there ever need to be correction? Why would there ever need to be reproof? Why? You know what Paul would have said? He would have just said, you know what? No, there's going to be Christians among you that will do all kinds of crazy things. Let them do it. Because understand, their actions don't matter. Jesus already shed his blood. Jesus already gave the sacrifice. You don't have to correct the Christians. You don't have to correct the believers. Once saved, always saved, brother. It's not what Paul said. It's not at all what Paul said. He said, use the word of God, which is breathed out by God, and bring correction and bring reproof. Now, now think about this. There's a big difference between a sinner and a Christian, right? How do we deal with the difference of a sinner and a Christian? Well, the sinner gets the gospel. They get the message of Jesus. They get the message of hope, the message of love, that their life can be turned around, that they don't have to spend eternity separated from God, that they can become a child of God, that they can go to heaven, spend eternity with, with God. They can be forgiven of their sins. But understand this, it's not our job to force people to get saved. We don't do that. That's not the job of the Christian. This will actually free you because I know a lot of Christians that they get all bent out of shape because the people they talk to won't get saved. That's not your job. Your job is not to force people to be saved. You can't do that anyway. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that draws men to Jesus. So your job is to present the gospel, to tell the truth, to give them the good news about Jesus, and to let the Holy Spirit do his work. But you can't force someone into the kingdom. And so listen, if sinners sin, that's what they do. You know what I mean? You can't hold a sinner to biblical standards. It's crazy. That's insane. Can you imagine if I went out and got mad at sinners because they were sinning and then sinners said, how can you do that when you know what the Bible says and then try to start quoting scriptures? First of all, they, they don't know the Bible. And second of all, they're unregenerated, which means they don't even have the ability to understand the word of God, nor to obey it, right? So under, understand this. It would be foolish of me to get angry at sinners for sinning. That's what sinners do. They sin. It's my job to preach the gospel to them, to tell them the truth and love about what Jesus did and let the Holy Spirit do his perfect work. But I'm not there to force them into the kingdom. And here's another thing. On the other side of that coin, Paul said the exact opposite is true 
for people that are already Christians, people that are in the kingdom. What did he say? He said, I can't judge anybody outside the church, but I certainly can judge those that are inside the church. What does that mean? It means that if you're in the body of Christ, you can judge what a person does, the fruit of their life. If you couldn't, then there would be no way to give them correction or reproof. How could you ever know who needs correction or reproof unless you can judge the fruit of their life? I can see that it's wrong. I can see that it's wrong. We don't do it in a condemning way. We do it in a loving way. But we also understand it takes obedience to the scripture to prove our love to Jesus. Jesus said that. I read it to you at the beginning of this broadcast. And so you understand, uh, and I've said this for a long time, and I hope you have this written down somewhere. Conviction pulls people to Jesus, but condemnation pushes people away from Jesus. You hear that? Conviction pulls people to Jesus. Condemnation pushes people away from Jesus. And so it's very important that we catch this because I've seen a lot of Christians try to condemn people into the kingdom. It doesn't work. It does not work. Try to condemn people into the kingdom. How can you live like that? I can't believe hell has an open right up under you and sucked you into the burning flames of an eternal hell. People aren't going to get saved from that. People aren't going to come to Jesus from that kind of talk. They just won't. Condemnation is man-made. Pushes Exactly, Tina. Pushes them right out the door. Condemnation is man-made. You know why? There's no love in condemnation. None. There is no love in condemnation. But there is love in conviction. But notice we don't do the convicting. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. We are faithful to tell the truth in love. The Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love. So the reason that I give the gospel message to people is not because I hate them. Let me tell you something. If I went around preaching because I hate people, I would be wasting my time. I wouldn't even be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ if uh, I hated people. What a stupid thing to do. No, the reason that I leave home probably 270 days a year is because I love people and I want to see them blessed. I want to see them saved. I want to see their life taken out of destruction and turmoil and depression and anxiety. If I hated people, this is the wrong job to have. Wrong calling. But it's because I love people. And so if you love people, you tell them the truth in love, right? Let me let me give you an example. And this is, this is a very bare bones example, but I want you to see what I'm saying. If you have a wider picture of what's going on and you bring correction or you t- you give someone a warning, they could interpret that to be, you don't like me. You don't love me. How could you talk to me like that and refuse me the things that I want if you really love me? Now, that's the narrative that we have. But if you're a parent, let me ask you, are there any parents on the broadcast today? If you're a parent and have children, throw a hand in the comments section. Let me see who you are. 
I want to see who I'm talking to today. If you're a parent, this is going to make perfect sense to you. Perfect sense to you. So if you are, throw it up. But here's what I'll say to parents. Does it mean that you don't love your children? If your kids, my my children did it to me yesterday on the drive. If your kids keep coming to you and saying, I want candy, I want candy, I want candy, I want candy. And then you're like, no, I'm not giving you any more candy. Why am I getting And then they cry and they, they beg, please, I want candy. I want more candy. They cry. They want candy. They want candy. Well, they're kids. They don't understand nutrition. <laughs> they don't. Nobody has taught children that are four years old, five years old, nutrition classes. They don't understand about macronutrients. They don't understand about their body. They don't understand what they need for to be healthy. They don't understand what they need to grow. They don't understand that what constant, constant sugar will do to their body. Right? So if you deny it to them and say, no, you're not having any sugar. You're not having any more candy. I'm not giving you any more of that. Does that mean you don't love your children? But I want it. I love it. I love it. You know your kids love candy. You know your kids love snacks. They love cookies. You know they do. Of course they do. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But you refusing them that candy, does it taste good? Yes. Does it feel good when the sugar rush hits your body? Yes. But should I keep giving it to my kids? No. Does me doing that to my children mean I don't love them? Absolutely not. It means I love them. Why? I want to see them grow up to be healthy. Look at people. What's the? What are some of the biggest things smacking the United States of America right now for men and women? What are some of the biggest things that are hitting us? Type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, killing people left and right. And what, are, what, what is it that we know is the case? We know that people in America eat far too much sugar and they eat far too much salt. And what's happening? It's causing high blood pressure. It's causing type 2 diabetes. They're either destroying their pancreas or their blood cells become insulin resistant. It's causing obesity. We've got childhood obesity. So when I tell people or tell my children what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, I'm not saying that because I don't love them. I'm saying that because I do love them. But what's what do they not understand that I do understand? They don't understand nutrition. They don't understand the health effects that come from not taking care of your body. I do. So because I know them and they don't, uh, somebody that has that knowledge, true love would say, I've got to keep you from doing these things so that you won't end up in that destruction. The same thing is true about sin. No, Not everybody understands that eternity is coming. Not everybody understands that Jesus is coming back soon. Not everybody understands that there's a real heaven and a real hell. Not everybody understands that there's eternity with God or eternity separated from God. And does having sex with anybody you feel like having sex with feel good? Yes. Does do, doing drugs feel good? Yes. People wouldn't do it if it didn't. Does getting drunk and having a party and all this stuff, does that feel good? People wouldn't do it if it didn't. 
They wouldn't do it. All these different things. And I could I could keep naming sins that people love to commit. Does it feel good? Even the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. But the end is what? Death. So if I understand that I love people, I know what the effects of their sin are going to be. I know what they are. I've read the word. I know what they are. And if I really love them, if I truly love people, wouldn't I tell them the truth? Just like I'm telling uh, the truth to my children when I say, no, no more candy. You're filling your body with sugar. It's not good. I love them, so I tell them. What about those that are on their way to hell? You understand sin is like sugar. If you don't understand that, sin is like sugar. It tastes good. It feels good, but it will destroy you. It tastes good. It feels good. It'll destroy you. I want you to put that in the comments. Sin is like sugar. It tastes good. It feels good. It'll kill you. That's the plainest I can make it on this broadcast today. Plainest I can make it. Sin is like sugar. It tastes good. It feels good. It'll kill you. The Bible says that it, that it does. You understand, if there was no pleasure in sin, nobody would do it. Nobody would do it. It tastes good, feels good, it'll kill you. People need to see that. People need to understand it. it you know, to tell people sin's not fun. Well, you've not read the Bible. The Bible says it is, it is fun. It's fun for a season. But the end of it's not fun. It's just like if all you did was give yourself a diet of carbohydrates and sugar. Oh, it feels good for a while, but it doesn't feel good when your pancreas is destroyed. Doesn't feel good when you you can't even produce enough insulin to keep your blood sugar level down. Doesn't feel good when your feet are black and they're cutting off your toes. Doesn't feel good then. Felt good when you were eating it, though. Felt good when you were eating it, but it doesn't feel good now. Sin is like sugar. Tastes good feels good, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. And, and so true love, I want you to think about this. True love, where we say, you know what? I love people, man. I don't want to see people die. I don't want to see people end up in hell. I don't want to see people destroyed. So what do I have to do? I have to tell them the truth. I have to tell them the truth. It's not my hatred for you that makes me want to tell you the truth. I don't have hatred for you. I have love. And you know what? Any intelligent person should understand that like, even if you don't believe like we believe as Christians, you should at least understand that we're doing it from a perspective of, I love you so much that I don't want to see you end up in hell. Even if that's offensive to you, anybody that's intelligent should understand the reason he's really saying that is because they Christians believe that if you do this stuff, you go to hell and he doesn't want me going to hell. That should that alone should let people understand like I love you. I want to see you in heaven. <laughs> you understand? I want to see you in heaven. And that's how we have to be. That's how we have to be as believers. Understand the days we're living in. That's the prophecy that we saw today. That's the prophecy. That there will be all these types of people, even in the church, avoid them. But understand this, as we look at this, 
What did Paul really finish that section up with? They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. That is where the church is in 2020. The majority of the church, they're in the place where they have a form of godliness, no power, no power. But listen, there's a remnant of people, that's you, that's me, that are not gonna be satisfied with no power in the church. We're not gonna be satisfied with no manifestations of God's presence in the house of God. We're not gonna be satisfied for Christianity without the power of the Holy Ghost. We're not gonna be satisfied without the signs and the wonders and the miracles. We're not gonna be satisfied without the moving of the presence of God upon his people. We're not going to be satisfied and we refuse to be satisfied with dead, dry, religious church. I will not. And I'm sure you're the same or you wouldn't be on these broadcasts every time I go live. You should know as well as I do, it's not going to be our story in Jesus' name. It will not. It will not in Jesus' wonderful name. And so I want you to hear this with me today, that we as believers, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled, on-fire believers, have to be, have to be in a place where we're pressing in, dedicating ourselves to the Spirit of God to see the manifestations and the power of God. We have to be. We have to be. You understand, it was the norm in the first century church. It was the norm. You go back and even read the you go back and read the early church fathers, Irenaeus. You go back and read Polycarp. They were still seeing signs and wonders and miracles taking place after the apostles died. Now Polycarp was actually a disciple of John the Revelator, who was the last apostle to die. Think about it. He was the last apostle to die, wrote the book of Revelation. He was on the Isle of Patmos. He was the last one to die because he was the youngest disciple. But Polycarp was a disciple of John the Revelator. And they were still seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Irenaeus talked about it. Polycarp talked about it. Go back and read the early church fathers. You'll find it. They were still seeing it. So for everybody that says miracle signs and wonders died with the last apostle, then explain to me that how after John died, they were still having signs and wonders and miracles. It's because cessationism is a lie. The Holy Spirit didn't cease in his work. He didn't stop doing what he always has done. He's still doing it today. And you and I are candidates to be used by God in these final moments of time before Jesus comes. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, more than ever before, it's time to press into the power of God and watch as God uses us to change this generation before it's too late. Jesus is coming soon. I don't have time to get involved with all of those and say, well, it's not real. That's not for today. If that's what you believe, God bless you. But I don't have time to get involved with you and debate you and spend all my time worried about what you think. I have to press in. And go after a world that is hungry. I don't care what nation I've been to, what people group, what age group that I've ministered to. Every one of them, when they see the power of the Holy Ghost, are hungry for the mighty power of God and the manifestations of God. And I'm telling you, this is a hungry generation. They're ready. The harvest is ready to come in, man. I mean, ready to come in. Ready to come in. If we'll be bold enough to call them, they will come. They will come. 
and we'll see souls saved. I know what the Bible teaches. I know that there'll be people whose hearts grow cold. They fall away from the faith, but it won't be us in Jesus' name. It won't be us in Jesus' name. We're pressing in. We're going after it. We're the fasters. We're the prayers. We're the studiers. We're going after it. And we're going to see the mighty power of God at work in our lives before Jesus comes. We're going to see it. We're already seeing it. And we're going to see more of it in Jesus' name. And I want to see you. Like, I'm coming this coming Sunday. We're holding another revival. I'm going to be at Champion Christian Center in Washington, Pennsylvania. Pastor Nathan Joy Miller. We're going to be there. Got the family coming with me. If you're anywhere close, take a drive. Come to the church where revival's happening and be a part of it. Many people, their churches are still closed, whatever. Get in your car, get on a plane, and come to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and come be a part of the revival. We'll be there this coming Sunday and uh, this 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 next week. And so listen, all the details are on MiracleWord.com. Come be a part. We're pressing in, man. We're not doing less of it. We're doing more of it. Not less. We're doing more. Hallelujah. That's And that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to go after it more. We're going to go after souls in a greater measure. We're going to go after the, the sick in a greater measure. We're going to go after the depressed in a greater measure. And we're going to see people changed. We're going to see people changed by the power of God. And you are too. You're anointed. You're anointed. And I thank God for you. I thank God for your faithfulness and for your life. And I'm going to pray for you at the end of this broadcast because listen, we are going to have what God said we can have. We are going to operate in the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. We won't be those people that have a form of godliness and deny his power. We'll be the ones that turn our generation upside down with the power of the Holy Ghost. You and me in Jesus' name. So I want you to bow your head. Father, I pray for every person that's watching this broadcast or listening on the podcast. And I ask you in Jesus' name to ignite a fresh Holy Ghost fire in the heart of every man and every woman. I pray that this would be the greatest season of our life that we've ever experienced, seeing the fruit of the gospel come to pass in Jesus' name. We will see souls saved. We will see healings. We will see deliverance. We will see breakthrough. We will see God's people touched supernaturally, and it will be the proof that Jesus is alive. Lord, we thank you for that. We're ready to be faithful to you. Show us things we've never seen. I pray you open the eyes of our understanding. Give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Raise us head and shoulders above the rest. We thank you that we are blessed to be a blessing. There's no weapon formed against us that can prosper. In Jesus' wonderful name, we give you glory and we give you praise. And if you believe that prayer and receive it today, throw some fire in the comments section. Let me know that you believe it. Amen. And if you would, take a minute, just like others have already done today, and sow a seed into this ministry. There's all kinds of ways you can do it. Um, you can put hashtag donate in the comments section, as you see in the pinned comment. You can do it that way. The easiest way to set up an account to sow a seed every month and partner with us is to go to miracleword.com. And you can either click give or you can click partner and you can sign up, set up your own account and manage it yourself, and you can sow monthly a seed to partner with this ministry. And I would encourage you to do that because, listen, if you believe what I've been preaching today, there's my friend, Pastor Alan Wacom from, from Canada, where we love you guys very much. Appreciate you being on. Um, 
One thing we're believing for this generation is that they will clearly see the power of God at work. Clearly. And you're partnering with that. That's what you're doing as you stand with us. And um, I appreciate you for that. I, I pray for all of our partners every week. Carol and I are praying for you and believe in God. And so you can go to miracleword.com and you can set up a seed that way. Or you can use PayPal. Uh, our email address for PayPal is info at miracleword.com. And then, of course, if you're in the United States, you can use Cash App, Venmo. The username is MWGive. MWGive. And uh, I appreciate you, man. I love you guys. Uh, for the month of August, we're going to be blessing you as well. If you'd like to receive the gift for your sewing this month, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and uh, sign the form so we know where to send your gift as you're sewing. For those of you that are sewing $1,000 or more, we're going to send you this Life Application Study Bible in Genuine Leather, as well as the brand new book, Further Faster in the Hardcover. Let me say this before I forget and before I let you go. And I'm going to be back tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. You don't want to miss it. I've got a word for you. But let me say this. My wife is literally selling so many of these new books, these new devotionals, that we're having a hard time keeping them in stock. We've already sold all the pre-orders, went out hundreds of pre-orders. And then we found out yesterday tons of people have been ordering on Amazon.com. And then on the website, every day more orders are coming in. If you'd like to get yours, go to shop.miracleword.com. My wife just dropped a book that's called Lines. It's a 40-day devotional. The subtitle, Confessions That Create Boundaries Your Enemy Cannot Cross. It's about the power of declaration and confession. And let me tell you, it'll bless you. If you'd like to get this for your small group, home group, whatever, in bulk, maybe you want to order five or 10 or 20 or 30, like many others are doing. Do me a favor, send an email to Jenna at miracleword.com. Jenna, J-E-N-N-A at miracleword.com. We will give you special pricing and hook you up on bulk orders uh, of the book. And we say thank you for doing that. We love you guys. Very much appreciate you. And, um, I know, Kayla said, I'm only on day three and I have to stop myself so I don't read ahead. I understand, totally. And Kelly just got hers in the mail yesterday. So people are already receiving them. Don't miss it. Get yours. And um, they're available on Amazon.com as well. If you're not in the United States, check Amazon because they'll ship it to you. And uh, either today or tomorrow, one of these days, the ebook is going up for Apple Books and Amazon Kindle as well. Very, very excited for that. I love you guys so much. I'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be live with you 10.30 a.m. and the rest of this week here in Virginia. Have a great one. I'll talk to you again soon. Love you. Bye. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.